Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. (laughs) See, combine them. There you go. Hey guys, we're not going to talk like this the entire podcast, but thank we, God. we thank God. <laughs> it's so fun to do. What well, uh, we're, we're just trying to offer some examples right up top mm-hmm. of a vocal pattern that has been getting a lot of press. Yes, linguistics in the press. Linguistics in the press. Yes, I mean yes, yes. We're talking about vocal fry. <laughs> I know we're not just trying to annoy you, whatever you may think. Yeah, but a lot of people, especially men, it seems, are annoyed with this vocal pattern. And uh, the whole thing about vocal fry is that it seems to be infecting the speech patterns of young American women. And since young women are the vocal trendsetters, as we will talk about more in the podcast, it is infecting speech across America. Just like a vocal plague. Plague on your houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, people, are, people are a little upset about it because language is such a constantly evolving thing and young women are pointed out to be these vocal trendsetters. Um, th- there are some older people who are upset. Yeah, and we figured what better topic than vocal fry and speech patterns to discuss in this podcast hosted by two young women, because I don't know about you, Caroline, but when I go back and listen to the podcast, I am very, and by the podcast, I mean stuff I've never told you, <laughs> when I'm listening to myself right. all the time, because that's, uh, that's whenever I'm in the car with someone else, I just turn on my own podcast, because <laughs> that's never weird. And so there's a little uptalk there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Canadians also do a lot of uptalk, I've noticed. But that's just a side note. Hmm. Um, Did you learn that on Degrassi? Uh, I learned that from my imitations of Canadians. <laughs> Uh, but, but I, but one thing that I had to get used to with listening to myself doing the podcast was hearing my own voice and also making sure that I, I wasn't speaking with abrasive vocal patterns. Right. Well, I have noticed that I use upspeak with you, but it's literally only when I am not sure about something I'm talking about and I want to throw it to you. To give your opinion. So kind of a question. Yeah. But m- a little more of a statement. Like, yeah, because, I mean, Upspeak is, is condensing a statement and a question. So it's it's putting it out there for you. Like, I'm making the statement, but could you please confirm it? Kind of kind of that thing. Right. Um, well, first, let's get it. Before we get into the Uptalk thing, let's talk about vocal fry, because that's really what has set a lot of people off. Yeah. Uh, it, it's also known as a really weird word. Glottalization. Glottalization. Oh, say that gl- in the back of your throat. Glottalization. Yeah, specifically, vocal fry is a low staccato vibration during speech, which is produced by a slow fluttering of the vocal cords. Sounds so peaceful. Yeah, and I didn't know this. Um, it's the lowest of the three vocal registers, which was first identified in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the highest register, we have falsetto. I will not demonstrate. Then you and I are speaking in the normal register, which would be modal. Correct. 
And then there's fry. Yeah, which is us speaking at our lowest register, and then our voice just creaks because it can't handle it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> there's a slowly closing door in my throat. <laughs> yeah, you, you actually sound very, very disinterested. Uninterested? One of those. Um, yeah, so it actually, you know, a lot of people have a problem with it because they say that young women are, are we're ruining our voices and we're doing a lot of damage by using all this vocal fr- fry in our voices. And it turns out, according to researchers, that it does not always indicate that a vocal cord problem exists. Rather, it is a learned usage problem. So it has, you know, as we said, kind of infected the way that people speak. And so it seems like more and more people are picking up on it. And it's only over time, if you're using it constantly, that it could actually do damage to your vocal cords. Yeah, but there does seem to be, uh, as you hinted at, an infectious nature to the speech pattern. And the reason why vocal fry is getting so much attention is because of a paper that was published in the Journal of Voice that was published online actually in 2011, but it came out in the print edition in May 2012. And it was conducted at Long Island University by some linguists who had noticed this vocal fry pattern among female students. And the sample size was very small. It was only 34 female college students between 18 and 25 years old. And what the researchers did was analyze recordings of the women speaking a sustained vowel sound of an A and then reading sentences. And they concluded that two-thirds of them, in fact, employed vocal fry, especially at the ends of sentences. Now, somehow, that sample size of 34 young women from the Long Island area Mm -hmm. was blown up into this vocal epidemic because they've spotted vocal fry among a number of prominent young female celebrities. Right, like Katy Perry, Zoe Deschanel, uh, Britney Spears is a big one that's cited. But the funny thing is, like, yes, Kristen, you said that it's a very small study, but even the researchers agree that the patterns were normal variations in speech. Uh, Nasima Abdeli Beiru is one of the one of the researchers and she said, yeah, it's it's totally normal um, a part of speech and people kind of came out of the woodwork on both sides. There was a lot of stuff it seems like people just jumped on it like, yeah, young women, what's your problem? Why are you speaking like this? And then a bunch of other people came out to be like, hey, get off our backs. Patricia Keating, who's a uh, UCLA linguist in an article in Science Magazine, agrees that it is normal. She says there are languages even that use creek as part of the phonetic system. The chances of it leading to vocal damage are very minimal. And she points out that in the U.S., I think there are generational differences, but it is common to mark the end of sentences with vocal fry. If the pitch falls, she says, you get creek. Mm-hmm. And it seems like really the any uproar over vocal fry is more of an aesthetic thing mm-hmm. that it that that pop and rattle that sometimes I'll catch myself yeah. doing, uh, just sort of sustaining the end of a sentence for I don't know, for whatever reason. Um, it, it's I, I I can understand how maybe that doesn't you know doesn't flow smoothly into the ear especially if that ear belongs to one Bob Garfield. <laughs> there was a little up talk. 
There is a little uptalk. Well, yeah, Bob Garfield was really, really bothered by this. He's uh, Slate's Lexicon Valley podcaster and NPR's On the Media host. He got very upset about this whole creaky voice or vocal fry phenomenon, and he described it as oil popping in a pan, and he said, I want the oil to stop frying. He called it, see, did you hear it? Frying. I did it. I did it. You're frying right um, now. I'm frying. I'm totally hot. Um, he said he called it it's like a catch in the voice and called it annoying and repulsive. And he and his co-host discussed sort of the the meaning behind it or what it could indicate. And they talked about how it can convey skepticism if you're intentionally using it, particularly young women. So like teenagers or, or young college women who are just so bored with whatever Bob Garfield is saying. Yeah, and I will say that I, I'm a, a big NPR nerd, as list, long-time listeners know, and I listen to you on the media pretty often. Um, and the whole... Bob Garfield, like Bob Garfield's response to Vocal Fry made complete sense having listened yeah. to him on, on the media. He tends to be a little snarky and is very opinionated. And that, however, did not sit well with Amanda Hess oh over at, at Slate, who did not take kindly to Bob Garfield referring to vocal fry as an obnoxious vocal pattern among young women. And she said that it was actually a sign of a larger thing happening and also called him an old fart. Yeah, well, I actually read her column before I had listened to his podcast on the topic. So, you know, I go over and I listen to his podcast and I'm thinking... What's the problem? Like, it's totally innocuous. We all have things that annoy us. I mean, you should hear the amount of complaining I do on any given day. His his thing happens to be vocal fry, I guess. And so Amanda Hess over at Slate says, okay, geez, Bob, we're criticized for raising our voices at the end of sentences, upspeak, and now we're we're wrong for lowering them. We, we just can't get it right with you, can we? But I really think that she misinterpreted their whole discussion about women lowering their voices to be to sound more authoritative. She's like, what, you don't want us? It's it's vulgar for us to sound masculine or, or authoritative. I just think that's that's not at all what they said. They were simply discussing how, you know, men do speak at a lower register, a lower octave, obviously. And so women lowering their voices, it could be a signal of us trying to sound more authoritative when we're speaking more deeply, but... I don't know. Hess got all carried away. Yeah, Madeline Davies over at Jezebel also hopped on uh, the anti-Bob Garfield train saying, Garfield's condescension toward a major portion of America's young people, not young men, mind you, just women, is glaring. And then Garfield comes back and responds to it, basically laughing off the whole thing uh, and owning up to his condescension, but also saying that, you know, he's raising three young women and he doesn't think that they are stupid and powerless because of the way they speak. He was simply, he was speaking on a, a podcast that specifically talks about linguistics and speech patterns and he, he went off on vocal fry, but there is definitely a gendered aspect to this because while that Long Island University that we first referenced that kicked all of this off only surveyed young women, they're also working on a study right now looking at vocal fry patterns among young men. And even though it seems like, at least anecdotally, that vocal fry is more common among young women, it's not the same. It's actually flip-flopped 
over in the UK where, I mean, vocal fry is nothing new. Right. People creaking their voices has been going on for a long time. It's just the rise in young women, specifically in native, like, English-speaking America. Right. Um, David, uh, speaking of, of what you just said about uh, in England, David Crystal, who's a linguistics professor at Bangor University in Wales, uh, told the New York Times in February 2012 that vocal fry is cited as far back as 1964 as a way for British men to denote their superior social standing. And when we were emailing back and forth about this topic, I told Caroline that it reminded me of Carson on <laughs> Downton Abbey because yeah. he's always he's always vocal frying, you know. I'm trying to think of Is an that, example. Well, it's more like vocal rumbling in my brain. But it's yeah, true. <laughs> Bring the tea. <laughs> Pay attention. It'll, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch Downton Abbey now without going crazy over. Over all of the vocal frying, um, but uh, it is uh, interesting too, though, how young women are the vocal trendsetters. Because I think it's it's getting all of this attention because uh, because it does seem like it's spreading among women. And according to a February 2012 article in New York Times, uh, the young women are where popular slang starts, mm-hmm. and it's where. Vocal patterns start such as like the valley girl kind of thing mm-hmm. and up talk and now vocal fry. Yeah. Mark Lieberman at the University of Pennsylvania said that young people in general lead the older in vocal trends, obviously, but it's it's women, really. And, and women are about a half generation ahead of males on average when it comes to these trends. We should start a new speech trend, maybe one with vibrato. I think we should emphasize the wrong syllables when we're talking. <laughs> talking? Yeah, that would be it. Uh, yeah, and they're, they're not, the funny thing is they're not entirely sure why women in particular are such vocal trailblazers. They think that it could have to do with us being more sensitive to social interactions and therefore more likely to adopt subtle vocal cues, which mm-hmm. I do notice among, uh, Caroline, I don't know if, uh, if this happens with you or not, but I've noticed different uh with mm-hmm. different girlfriends of mine will speak differently depending on the people that we are around yeah I spoke, I was speaking with a woman, I, I didn't know her well. Um, I had just met this woman, She's she was much older, had a very deep southern accent, and I found myself kind of mimicking her accent, mm-hmm. just to sort of, she was, basically to put her at ease when we were talking. It was very strange, and I caught myself doing it, and I was like, what are you doing? You're from Metro Atlanta, you don't have an accent. <laughs> there, There's also a, a particular uh, group of girlfriends of mine where when we all get together, it... Things get a little valley. <laughs> I don't know why, but it, like I'll be listening to myself and to us. I'm like, what? Oh, oh, all right, we're doing this. Okay. Do you ever call yourselves out on it, uh, or you just roll with it? No, no, no. <laughs> and all of the listeners are like, oh, I hope I never run into Kristen in her downtime. Um, <laughs> but in addition to the, the, the theory on whether or not it's social interaction, uh, they also think that uh, women's tre- vocal trends that might have to do with us using language to assert our power. Mm-hmm. I am woman. Hear me fry. Oh, <laughs> put that on a T-shirt. I make linguistics jokes. <laughs> wonder where I could, if I could go on tour with that. Um, and they also think that women might have more leeway to speak more flamboyantly. Yeah. 
Could be. And wasn't it Hess from Slate who made the whole point of like, well, women are gaining status and power in the professional world. So, you know, now we're not having to modify the way we speak anymore. I was like, well, right. OK, whatever. Um, but yeah, going back to the whole asserting power and all that stuff, a lot of these linguists that we've already cited have said that this is more than a vocal tick, that it's relationship building. Uh, going back to Abdeli Beiru, who is one of the uh, Long Island University researchers, she said that uh, they, meaning young women, use this as a tool to convey something. You quickly realize that for them, it is a cue. Going on to Carmen Fott, who's a linguistics professor at Pitzer College, she says, the truth is this. Young women take linguistic features and use them as power tools for building relationships. Penny Eckert, professor at Stanford, said they're not just using them because they're girls. They're using them to achieve some kind of interactional and stylistic end. So we, in all of our empathetic goodness, Kristen... We're just trying to get along. Yeah, and and something that there is something to lowering the voice that does lead to fry um, in asserting our authority of putting, you know, a. I was listening actually to NPR the other night, and they were interviewing a younger woman. She was probably our age, mm-hmm. and she was frying left and right. But the way that I heard it was she was speaking in an area of her expertise mm-hmm. and i felt because i probably because i had vocal fry on the brain the way i interpreted it was her asserting that authority because everything ended on a declarative downswing well it's interesting the the perception of what vocal fry can mean to different people, especially as far as like power or success is concerned. So a linguist at UC Berkeley studied 10 American men, 10 American women, and 10 Japanese women. She analyzed 400 word conversation chunks and counted every word that contained creakiness. She found that American women exhibited, exhibited, excuse me, creak two times as often as both American men and Japanese women. So, of course, you know, we've already talked about how women do it more often than men do. But when she played snippets from the same people, their uh, examples of fry Mm -hmm. and normal speech and asked for feedback, like, what what do you think of this woman based on her voice? 60% of the college students polled responded to the creaky voice by saying, oh, well, she's obviously professional, maybe a grad student. She's urban, looking for her career, or if she's not in a career, she's on her way there. Maybe she lives in New York, Chicago, L.A. And so there's this idea among college students that is very, very different about the woman who speaks with vocal fry than Bob Garfield's perception, for instance. A lot of people find vocal fry annoying and won't even hire you over the phone, for instance, if you speak with it. But young people just consider it a normal part of female speech. Which ties into the whole, uh, you know, what the linguists were saying about how it, it is a generational thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, you're right about the whole phone interview thing. Maybe it is a thing of older older men just really don't like the sound of it. Uh, there was an article in Fast Company by Craig Chapelo who was talking about how he did not hire a highly qualified woman because during her phone interview, 
she was snap, crackle, and popping <laughs> so much. Um, but the, you know, it's, it, it's interesting to think about the possibly utilitarian purposes of vocal fry because there is a similar thing with uptalk, mm-hmm. uh, aka high rising terminal, because I feel like the, the stereotype of uptalk is that you are undercutting what you're saying and a lot of Women might have heard, you know, don't up talk at all. That makes you sound subservient, that you don't, that you're not confident in what you're saying. Um, but there are also similar theories that up talk is a way of building community and even asserting your power because you're just kind of saying what needs to be done. And you're just making sure that I'm following you. Yeah, there was um, a, a study among Texas sorority sisters, which found that the sorority uh, women who were of the highest status used up talk the most when speaking to members of, you know, like the of the freshmen who were coming in. Yeah, and they found that it was really to kind of hold the floor uh-huh. and make sure that, that the other women were following them. David Crystal, who we cited earlier, he's a linguist, said, again, it, it's it's a relationship tool, and it can also be a matter of efficiency. Like we talked about earlier, if I'm if I'm not sure of something I'm saying, I might throw it to you. That was it. That was that a was creaky up talk. <laughs> I combined the two. Well, and the fact of the matter is, as well, what, once uh, linguists start paying attention to these patterns, men are doing it as well. It's mm-hmm. been uh, up talk and fry have been documented in people such as President George W. Bush, mm-hmm. President Barack Obama, powerful men who don't need to, you know, necessarily assert their authority. Um, but there is a notion, too, that the reason why young women get penalized so much for these speech patterns, or we tend to just assume that it's a negative trait, has to do with something called outgroup, the outgroup illusion. And it's a form of confirmation bias in which people are paying attention selectively to members of groups that they don't see themselves as belonging to, mm-hmm. thereby making their differences stand out even more. It's kind of like looking, almost profiling in a way, looking for something uh, that's that's different. And that was coming from uh, Mark Lieberman's University of Pennsylvania linguistics blog. Well, Kristen, you sent me a really interesting article about this William and Mary professor, Thomas Lineman, who studied intonation on Jeopardy. In relation to gender, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, he watched like 131 episodes of Jeopardy. (laughs) Yeah, he found that contestants' use of upspeak related to their gender and confidence in their responses. On average, he found that women used upspeak nearly two times as often as men. But if men answered incorrectly, their intonation betrayed their uncertainty and their use of upspeak increased dramatically. However, it was opposite for women. Yeah, so based on that... You could draw yeah, possibly a correlation-y kind of conclusion that maybe the idea that women's uptalk is a sign of insecurity is because men and women are using it differently and men are using it to signal insecurity, whereas women are using it uh, as a way of building more of a communication bridge. 
Maybe. between each other. And Lineman talks about this. He he says, quote, the more successful a man is on the show, the uptalk decreases. The opposite is true for women. I think that says something really interesting about the relationship between success and gender in our society. And other researchers found this too. Successful women in a variety of ways get penalized. And so that uptalk is a way of us softening mm-hmm. our authority so that we don't get labeled as... A B. Yeah. That's a big old B. Mm-hmm. A Beyonce. A Beyonce. Even if, even if we are on Jeopardy kicking butt. Yeah. We, we have to soften it. So, I mean, oh man, we could go on and on about the vocal, the gender differences in vocal patterns mm-hmm. because once you start digging into it, it does reveal so much more yeah. than just what we're saying. But it's, it's funny about the prejudices mm-hmm. that people just assume about women because of the way we speak. I mean, I, I, you know what, honestly, like, okay, upspeak bothers me when it's used constantly, but I had never really even noticed vocal fry. It's, it's not something that ever really jumps out to me unless someone is literally speaking like this. Right. I mean, I, I've noticed it in, you know, if I'm watching, say, the new girl, mm-hmm. because Zoe D does do it a lot, but that's part of her, that's part of her character. Mm-hmm. I don't really notice it in the day to day, but that's that's probably because you and I are in the prime demographic right. of we, we're carriers for the vectors for this vocal fry virus that is spreading around. Um, but but you're right, though, about kind of the the weird prejudice uh, when it comes to vocal patterns, because I feel like the like speaking of like, uh, that's a prime example how people assume that girls like toss like too much like into their conversation like whereas studies have found that uh, in phone conversations uh, men tend to use more superfluous likes than women do mm-hmm. so you have all these preconceived notions yeah and while i will say that i, I agree that amanda has was a bit extreme in her response to Bob Garfield. There is something, you know, she's she was on the right track in saying, "Hey, we need to check that repulsion and assumption that women are just undercutting themselves, right? Or or just being angry at women for the way they speak in general, right? <laughs> right. But that's a good place to start. Um. So yeah, I'm now I'm now curious to hear from listeners, especially women. Women in uh, in professional settings, do you find yourself adjusting your normal s- speech patterns, your everyday speech patterns, to make yourself sound more authoritative, or do you use catch yourself using up talk to sort of uh, I don't know soften your persona? Yeah. And men does it great on your every last nerve. I mean, people get I I read on all of the articles that we read and studies that we cited and everything. I read all the comments on those things. People get very angry. They do. It's very irritating, but a lot of a lot of people have pointed out on these message boards and and comment threads and everything like, "Hello, I actually have polyps." Or I actually have nodules on my vocal cords that I have spoken like this since a child, mm-hmm. since I was a child. So, Lay off. Yeah. But I mean, the linguists have it. They, mm-hmm. they say we're the, we're the trendsetters and there's, there's nothing wrong with it. Skinny jeans and upspeak. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> A little bit of vocal fry on the side. And to any Canadians listening, am I right about the upspeak? <laughs> I'll just end it with that. Momsofadiscovery.com is where you can send all of your letters. Uh, before we get to a couple of those letters, Caroline, you know what time it is. It's time to talk about... 
Okay, here's one from Brandon about our domestic service uh, podcast. He says, I was listening to your podcast about domestic service and was reminded of the Channel 4 television show 1900 House, where a British family lives for three months in a house restored to a normal middle-class family home in 1900. While living there, the lady of the house hired someone as the maid of all work. This adventurous young lady researched 1900 domestic sciences to embrace the part. I encourage you and your listeners to watch some of the episodes and perhaps one of a number of sequels produced around the world inspired by the show. And then he says, thanks for your interesting podcast that helped my workday fly by. So you're welcome, Brandon. Thank you. And I've got one here from Elizabeth, and uh, this ties in well to being a powerful woman in the office. She is a production manager at a Fortune 50 company and one of the only females in her plant. She says, as a 24-year-old woman, I manage a team of about 20 union employees per shift, some as young as me, many older than my dad, and zero are women. My fellow managers are men in their 50s and 60s, and I've found that while they respect you, they don't expect you to do as much as them. I have a very petite stature, but I grew up with three brothers and a mother who holds a public office while battling cancer, so I'm a tough cookie. In fact, my mother did not give me a Barbie until there was an engineering Barbie, which I got for my 22nd birthday. So she says uh, that I found I can gain the confidence of my team by being aggressive and direct in my work. And she goes on to talk about how on one of her first days, she had to lay down the line with a truck driver who called her girly. And she said after that, word spread like wildfire and my peers were impressed. Another word to future female managers, if someone calls you a B word, that means you're probably doing your job right. You can't care about what others think about you. Just do what is best for your employees and the company. Snap. Thank you, Elizabeth. And thanks to everyone else who has written in to momstuff at discovery.com. You can also hit us up on Facebook. Send us a message there. Like us while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. You can also follow us on Tumblr at StuffMomNeverToldYou.tumblr.com. And if you would like to make your brain a little bit bigger this week, you know where to go. It's our website, HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 